Under a Red Glow is an everything photography podcast covering the entire range of photography from chemical, darkroom, and alternative-based processes all the way to modern digital photography and beyond. Be sure to visit us at www.underredglow.com. And now your host, John Milliker Jr. Hello and thank you for joining us for episode 88 of the Under a Red Glow podcast. My name is John Milliker. I'm a full-time photographer, practice teach, demonstrates nearly every photograph process history, including modern digital techniques. And with me in the studio is my co-host and lovely wife, Christine. She practices and demonstrates many processes as well and is our entry-level process and kids' class instructor. Welcome, Christine. Good evening. One of these days, I'm going to get that right. I swear you speed up every week. And Pass? it's becoming less and less... Coherent? Coherent. <laughs> That's fine. The problem is, I, I, like I said, if I don't put who we are... People are like, who is this bozo and why is he talking to me about photography? But if I, I don't want to put too much stuff in there. So I try to rock it through it because nobody wants to hear about that. New people might want to hear about it, but everybody else doesn't, doesn't care. <laughs> and that's okay. I have no problem with that. What's going on? We're getting ready for an event. Getting ready for our first event. We're going to talk about that. I think, I think that's the plan for tonight, I guess. Yeah, we can talk about it. We'll we, have um, more next week when we've actually done it. Yeah, we, we could do that too, but we we kind of hit the nail on the head with the Insta360 predictions last week. It, Disappointing. We'll talk about that. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I guess that's it. Talk about that. Uh, we had a uh, we had a, a great chat with a with a gentleman that works on. Uh, that works with the the space images that come out of Hubble, and will also work uh, will also come out of the the Webb telescope. We'll talk a little bit about what we learned with that uh, with that in, uh, encounter with that talk, and um, we've got some pretty pretty cool astronomy news as far as maybe you astrophotographers out there are concerned. But we'll talk about this and that and all that fun stuff after this word from our sponsors. Okay, Christine, man. We are, it's the day before leaving for our event. So, so you Patreon people, uh, you're going to get this before we do it, but everybody else is going to get this after, but our event is uh, Manassas National Battlefield down in Manassas, Virginia. It's, you know, it's the first, you know, the first bull run. It's the first, uh, you know, first real part of the American Civil War. And we're very excited to uh, to go down there and meet up with some some new friends there at the, uh, at, the at the National Park Service. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how we, you know, how we kind of think about an event and especially event this early. And, and really we, you know, we, we kind of got, we got shorthanded Christine. How did we get shorthanded? We had such nice weather. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking 60s, 70s, sun. Well, this weekend it's going to be cold and rainy, but we're going to talk a little bit about how we, you know, how we kind of, kind of uh you know ensure that we can still perform what what we promise to perform for the spectators of an event and uh and go from there but i really want to talk about you know we talked about the the insta 360 camera they hyped it up coming out march 22nd i put my i put my email address in there got the got the the, the super primo private sneak peek <laughs> which was just a damn link to their YouTube page that everybody could see. Of course, it gave no information whatsoever. Well, it finally came out. The new Insta360, what is it? Is that the one R, not the one R, but it's the... R2, isn't it? I don't care so much. I didn't even write the damn thing down. It's They came out with this modular camera. And it was okay. You know, they're trying to, Insta360s, trying to be the GoPro quote-unquote killer. And and it's got these modular lenses you can put on and modular doodads and a tiny little color screen and a battery on the bottom. It's the same thing they just came out with. I it, mean, it's, it looks almost exactly the same. And, they, and they're saying that stills are 48 pixels. But the previous camera was 12, 12 megapixels, not pixels, 48 megapixels versus the 12 megapixels. You're not using these action cameras for still photography. No. I mean, maybe maybe some of you out there are. 
but you're you're mostly using them for hyperlapse, time lapse videos, all that fun stuff. The problem is they're now saying it's like 48 megapixels, but they're probably using this weird Bayer quad Bayer lens stuff, which is 12 filters, which is four filters or sensors or whatever. However, they do the stacks stuff. You remember when we were talking about the DJI Air 2 versus the Air 2S? Yeah. You know, the Air 2 was like 48 megapixels, but but in reality, it was 12 times four. And the DJI Air 2S, I think it was 20 megapixels. And, you know, the, the images were so much better than this fake 48 megapixel sensor. Yeah, it it. You can make all the claims you want, but it's not really that. And and I'll just be, you know, don't want to beat a dead horse. Honestly, I went to Insta360 site and I brought up the comparison for the first 1R or RS or whatever it's called. And I brought up the second one that just released, Compare Me. And I'm I'm going down through it and I actually forget which side was the old one and which side was the new one because everything's the same just about. There's a couple little things. The battery's a little bit bigger. It records a little bit longer. Allegedly, it's really good with, with temperatures, with high with high heat. But I seem to remember the old one being pretty good too. It's got a 360 degree camera. Guess how much more resolution it shoots from the Insta One X from what six years ago today? It's exactly the same. It's isn't exactly it? the same. 5.7K resolution for a 360 degree field video. And when you reframe it, which is you're you're taking it from this weird warped 360 video to to actually using it in a video, mm-hmm. you're still using you're still working with 5.7K. And as you zoom in on a portion of a video, let's say you just want to have a normal view of you driving forward, it's still degrades the crap out of it right i don't know and they 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 say flow state stability which both of them had but this one's flow state stability with some improvements well then call it flow state two right i just it seems like it's exactly the same camera but there might be some new mods like some small tiny things that for most people aren't going to mean anything if you already have the old one you're not going to buy this one Maybe if you don't have any, you're going to buy this. But the problem is I worry that they're trying to go along the Apple model, which is, hey, does your Apple X work fine? Well, Apple Y is coming out nine months later. Let's, but you got you to gotta get this one. You got to sell your old one and get this one. I'm, I'm worried that, that we have too many companies that are they're just releasing stuff and thinking you're going to buy it no matter what. At least GoPro. You know, everybody gives GoPro a hard time, and and rightly so, because a lot of the GoPro models, they had overheating, they had terrible battery life. That's The YouTube channel Camera Conspiracies says, you know, kind of makes fun of the Canon cripple hammer, of which Canon can't give you a new feature without crippling an old feature. GoPro is similar to that. Oh, okay, well, we fixed the... Uh, you know, we fix the overheating, but on this model, you can no longer remove the, the 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 clear housing over the lens, which, as someone who had a, a suction cup fail doing 60 miles an hour with a GoPro 6, was, you know, very happy to, to be able to change. Thankfully, that was the only thing that, that really got destroyed. It didn't get destroyed, but it got nicked on one corner. And I said, you know what? This thing did such a good job at... First of all, tumbling off a car at four in the morning and and thankfully, thankfully the GoPro decided to land on the double yellow line in the street and not get run over. Not that there was that many vehicles anyway, but it could have gone the other way into the bushes and I would have never seen it. I would have had to sit there and stay there until the sun came up and hope to see it. So I gave, I, I treated it to a new front housing. It looked like it was good as new. Yeah, and that thing worked really well. Yeah, absolutely. We moved on to the 8. Oh, guess what? We can, we no longer replace the housing. I can't remember if the, I think the 10 now has the housing replaced, but then they got rid of the the mount. They got rid of the the, you know, the case. You have these cases. And they now put those two little feet on the bottom that you can screw into any of the feet. Or any of the you know the the, the clippy the clippy dues, right? Right. But the problem is that's not stable. 
You can tighten that down all you want, and in the 8 and in the 10, the damn thing wobbles a little bit. I don't know. But DJI is doing the same thing. Oh, we were we just when did we buy the Mini 1? That was that was 2019. They are now talking the Mini 3. Yeah, I saw that. I Are they trying to stay relevant? Are they trying to stay relevant? Like, oh, here's some new stuff. Same as the old stuff, just about. But here's some new stuff. I mean, I guess it's good for your new, you know, the, you know, new people entering into that sort of equipment. But with with stuff like this, you get less features added to the old stuff. I I don't get it. I just don't understand why. They're, the features are so similar to what came out more than five, six years ago. What, why they're not improving on that? Look, there's there's an obvious issue. You know, you've got you've got sensors, which obviously we have sensors out there that do 8K. You have sensors, you have a heat dissipation, and you have battery life. GoPro, they kind of they kind of painted themselves in a corner for having this one standard size. And then I think the eight was a little bit bigger and the 10 was a little bit, I don't, I don't know, but they're, they're growing a little bit bigger, which is fine. Everybody's cool with that. But the problem is, is look at the, the new Canon mirrorless camera that does 8k video at only 24 frames a second. It's got, it's got a fan in it. You got a camera with a fan in it. Are you kidding me? So the problem is, is we're now outpacing technology again. To the point where we want, we want, we want, but for whatever reason, we're, we're not getting. It's, it, maybe that's a smart thing. Maybe Insta360 needs to sit there and say, man, we are really a way, ways away from you know a better resolution 360 camera. Let's, right. let's, make, let's make those cameras with the 5x7 better. But but how long do you wait? Do you sit there and say, okay, well, we're five years out from an 8K or even a 10K 360 camera? I mean, you, you got 5.7K. Obviously, your processor can handle it. Why can't you double that? Make it a little bit bigger, double it. Give us people that don't want to buy the, the $10,000 rigs that, that do this because they have, you know, maybe, you know, a handful of lenses. Give us people that have that want a lens on the right, lens on the left. It doesn't do this for for high end stuff. Give us something, double that. Give us what would be eleven point four K resolution. If you need to make it a little bit bigger, that's fine. You need to make it a little bit bigger battery, that's fine. But at least at least innovate. I think even the Ricoh, even the brand new Ricoh three sixty camera is still stuck at five point seven. Don't quote me on that. I'm not really sure, but but knowing all them, that's probably the that's probably the way it is. And I, I hate to say it, but that's that's how it is. It seems like it seems like we're we're bumping up against this damn five point seven K barrier. And and like none of the three sixty cameras have made a lot of innovations since they came out. I mean, that's why we still use the original ones we bought. We the the Xiaomi crazy knockoff Chinese weird 360 camera that was the first 360 camera we bought and it's still the one we use for photos and I still use it for photos because it's a little bit better resolution than the insta 360 one I think the one X matches it or gets close but I'm not gonna buy the one X because the one works great removable batteries it's got a nice, just monochromatic OLED screen. I don't need a color screen. I'm not looking at that tiny little stupid flicker circle icon crap. I, it's it just blows my mind that you're going to put a circle and to keep the to keep the feel of that circle. You're worried about design, and instead of giving me a square screen, you're going to give me an o, a full color OLED display in a circle. Oh, it frustrates me to no end. But like I said, it, we're probably at a at a limitation, and I'm sure we are. We're at a sensor limitation. We're at a processor limitation. We're at a battery limitation. And you know, of course, all these just have you know. God forbid we have a we have a dive case or a waterproof case anymore. No, 
we have to have everything that can be submerged for 30 days. I, I knew that from that article I saw this morning. Something that has to be submerged for, for however long and still work. It, it, it's, it, it, it bothers me because we're worried about this waterproofness. And it could be, I'd be happy with splash proof. But they're doing these IP 67, 68s and, and everything. Could we get better resolution if we don't worry? Put us get us back to the point where we could put a put a dive case over the stupid thing if we want to take it underwater. I look at 360 videos and photos all the time. Probably less than one, maybe two percent are underwater. That's, we don't care. We don't care. Give us a camera that works. Let us let us treat our electronics like our electronics should be treated, which is, hey, keep them out of the rain, and and give us some better features. But that that might not be the problem. I have no idea. Heck, if I know. Maybe we want something that no one else wants, but I can't see it being that way. I can't see it because you have all these people wanting. You know, I, I see it all the time. I, I I've never done the the actual. Um, I've never done the actual math on it but if we take 5.7k and divide that in half let's say uh-huh. uh, let's say we take this 360 degree photo and we want to make a 180 degree fisheye well already you're at you're at under 3k you're at two point whatever yeah and then if you want to if you want to take that from 180 degrees to something that's a normal view normal view being like 50 50 millimeter ish um, then you're, you know, you're probably down to like 720p. And when we talk about 720, it's, um, 4k, 5.7k is like 5760 by whatever the, whatever the thing is. 4k is 3840 by 2160. I think if I'm remembering off the top of my head. And then 1080p is 1920 by 1080, and then 720p is 1720 by 7, excuse me, 1280 by 720 pixels. And, you know, you're looking at YouTube videos, you know, most of your creators are shooting at 10, 1080p. We shoot at 4K. Not that everybody can, but 4K is, is let, let's, let's, let's talk about how much data we're talking about. You know, 4K is is such a difficult process that most people with even new computers today, they've got to build proxies to edit. And what a proxy does, it takes that 4K and it, it encodes it smaller so that you can edit that smaller file and be able to scrub back and forth on the video. And then when you export it, it uses the 4K. You can upload it to YouTube, 4K, and the, the, the handful of us, we don't. The handful of you <laughs> that have a 4K monitor can view it in 4K. Eventually, we need to get a 4K monitor, but then we have our laptops are 4K so that we can edit them. Um, but as far as our our main YouTube watching in in our living living areas, living living areas in our house, I mean, we don't have we don't have 4K. We have 1080p monitors, and and the thing is, is I I don't I don't need to see that I don't need to see that much detail. If the story is good, if uh, you know the audio is good. Right. I don't care. And and most of the time anyway with with our laptops we we run them in 1080p. I will bounce over to 4K if I need to kind of compare something but uh, yeah, do I see the 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 difference in quality? Yes. Do I care? No. It's like 3D. Remember when we had 3D movies? And we've always had 3D movies. But remember when there was the big push a couple years ago it was like 3D movies, 3D TVs, all that crap. I swear everything was coming out in 3D. But the thing was, is so many movies came out that like had crap flying at you. So it was almost like they they took away from the story. They took away from the production value just because, hey, we're a cool 3D movie because we have a Frisbee flying towards the viewer. Nobody cares. If you make a good video, and I I always reference William Osmond, which unfortunately hasn't put a video up. He kind of... Said he was done. Really sucks. I'm really sad. William Osmond did an example where he took great video and terrible audio. And then he did an example of great audio, terrible video. And people don't care if the if the video is bad. 
But if the if the video is good and the audio if the audio is bad, the video could be the best ever. And people freak out. It's you know it's like you're you're getting hit with a hammer when you hear just terrible clippy audio or distorted. You don't want to listen to that stuff. Make better content. And I guess it's good to photography too. Man, this is getting kind of deep. <laughs> you can't and and we talk about this too. When we talk about, you know, if we teach a Photoshop class or talk about editing or post-processing is you can't polish a turd. Right. Um, and I guess that's the same thing with, you know, with, with, with video too. You know, you can give it the, all the, all the pretty treatment that you want. You can make it as high resolution as you can, but if it's, if it's not a good video, it's not a good video. I don't know. It just bugs me. It It's hard because you have expectations and maybe we're not getting what we what technology can't give us yet and that's that's perfectly fine but the problem is is let's say um i'm trying to think of maybe another industry where things aren't really getting better but we're pushing it anyway um i'll give you a good example okay what's that stupid commercial we keep seeing all the time it's a toaster oven that you buy their meal plans you scan the barcode and it automatically puts the time and the temperature in for you oh yeah stupid yeah what but i guess at least they're trying to innovate but still they're selling you a damn toaster oven but you uh, can only use it for their products so i don't what think good you can. is that i think you still can but at least you still can there was a thing um, AVE on YouTube reviewed it. It was called, I think it was called the Juicero. But it was, you had to buy these juice packets. And they had like all the, had all the hippie kind of stuff. Like, you know, these green juices that people drink. And I would, I would rather just not drink them at all. But you would, you had to put their juice packet in there. And what happens is, is you put this juice packet in there. It reads the barcode as you put it in. And all the machine does, this big, giant machine, all this machine does is squeezes the juice packet. <laughs> I, I think they're out of, out of business. I hate to say thankfully, but come on. How much of that garbage is going to end up in landfill when, when the company... Um, they, I know they didn't sell a lot, but what, what happens if... Let's say they sold 100,000. That's 100,000 of these stupid, big plastic containers. And we're talking plastic, 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 and, and to, to look sleek and, and beautiful on a kitchen counter. How What's going to happen when all that crap is in a landfill? It just drives me crazy. I think there was another one, too. Wasn't there a beer one, too? I think I remember seeing something, yeah. Uh, what was it? It was like a drink thing where you had to... You know, you had all these, all this packaging, all this stuff that you put this packaging in and you made, it was like you made another drink or something. I can't remember what it was. And I think it added the carbonation for you, which to totally, by the way, we have a soda stream and I love it. But, but you add the carbonation and then you had to add this and you had to add that. It was just, at what point do, do we as consumers say, okay, that's enough. I'm not going to buy the GoPro 11 when I just got the GoPro 10. Show me some innovation. And thankfully, GoPro does. Thankfully, GoPro adds. I think our new one's like flow uh, is like whatever the stabilization version this. And and the DJI had Pocket 2, had a couple more uh, newer stabilizations than the Pocket 1. And we did that. The reason we did that, if we if we didn't care about we didn't care about anything that the Pocket 2 did over the DJI Pocket 1. The only thing we cared about was when I was editing video from Christine's pocket and my pocket, which were two different ones, a one and a two, it was just a little bit different as far as field of view. That's the only reason we, we replaced them. You know, we sold, you know, we sold off the pocket one, bought another pocket two. The thing was brand new, practically brand new. It was great. The only reason we did that was because we got a pocket two, silly, silly for us, and and we just wanted to make the footage look the same. How many people are on our boat that are going to go over pocket one to a pocket two? It's, it just drives me crazy. There are people that need to get the newest and best of everything. 
but we're not those people. We will use things as long as they fit our needs and as long as the new ones aren't so much better in what we need them for. But We need to move on, but I'm just going to say one thing. New gear is not going to make you a better photographer, videographer, painter, underwater basket weaver, whatever you do. You're not going to go out and buy the new Rachel Ray copper cookie cookware and start cooking like Rachel Ray or Gordon Ramsay or, you know, it's, you have everything you need right now right, to do what you want to do. If you get to a point where you sit there and say, Hey, I want to, I want to take aerial videos, but I don't have a drone, then get yourself a drone. But if you already have a drone and what's that little upgrade going to get you? Are you using your current gear to its its biggest potential? Probably not, because we're the same way. We probably don't use our gear to the biggest potential. I moved up to the larger drone because I wanted to do ortho ortho mosaic mapping, and the mini didn't have that feature at the time. It does now, but it is what it is. I, I needed to move on to it. But you're not going to buy gear and make and make yourself a better photographer. Right. And and we saw that in the eighties with oh buy these Nike Air Jordans and jump higher. Ain't making you jump higher. I don't care how many times you push the little the little the little air thing. Remember the air bladders that pump up the shoes? Vaguely. You had the thing in the tongue, you pumped up your shoes before you play sports. <laughs> I didn't do crap. I don't know if I, I, I think I saw some people with them. I could care less, so couldn't care less. Nope. Anyway, I didn't. I didn't have them either. All right, let's get on. Uh, we we had a great uh, a great talk with a, a gentleman that works on the Hubble and Webb Space Telescopes, and it was a really enlightening conversation. Because I and, and I'm not going to go too much into it, but I just wanted to 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 kind of talk about something that was very interesting. And what that is, is when the Hubble Space Telescope takes an image, and when you see these amazing, beautiful images, there's a, there's a new one out today of, of the spiral galaxy. I don't know if that's the I don't know if that's the new anniversary image or not. But thing is, the Hubble telescope, it's only a monochromatic sensor. It ain't a color sensor. What they do uh, is they track what they want to photograph and they and they make a uh, however long exposure they want through a filter. And this filter may, you know, may pull in the wave for the, the wavelength of uh, light reflected off of oxygen or uh, sulfur or hydrogen and, you know, all these different wavelengths in the in the spectrum. And then, you know, special people like this gentleman we talked to, he takes these images and he's got to clean them up. There are a lot of, there's a lot of cosmic radiation that comes in and, and just destroys these images left and right. And he cleans them up. And especially if they're like stacked images, like if they take, you know, 30 images and they have to, you know, you know line the, line the stars up and make you a big giant, you know, almost like a star panorama. Um, it's really difficult. And what they get back, and it's kind of interesting because we always talk about a photojournalistic integrity or or mostly the lack of any anymore. But we asked him about photo photojournalistic integrity, and he showed a image of how it came back. And then he showed an image of, okay, well, well, this came back this color, but it's closer to this. But there's also a little bit of you know you've you're you're making these images, and as you you publish these images for for regular folks like us, not not star people, space people, aliens, whatever, they, they tweak the image so that it looks good too. And, um, and, and we, we have to talk about photojournalistic integrity where they don't want to, you know, they're not trying to really, they're not trying to deceive people, but they're trying to make a, a, a product that, that we would, we would look at, we would enjoy, we would think is beautiful. So that's kind of a really fine line there between that. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. That that these images come down as as several images taken with with one sensor. They just have I think I think he said there's 48, 48 different different filters. They can they can move and push and pull in front of the sensor of Hubble and make all these images. And I thought that was really really fascinating. And uh, and my one question for him was, does Hubble have a place 
once wet the Webb Space Telescope comes up. And he says, absolutely, because apparently the Webb Space Telescope is is pulling down uh, infrared and, and higher, where the, the Hubble does mostly visible spectrum stuff. Okay. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really cool that Hubble's, you know, Hubble will still continue to live. And, I mean, we're coming up on, what was it, 30 years of Hubble? God, is that old? Is that old? <laughs> Remember when Hubble I went know up. it's been a long time, um, but yeah. But we're coming up on, I think he said 20, we're coming up on the 28th anniversary. I, th- I think that was what it was. And you know, the Hubble's still going strong. And as long as they can still use it, uh, he is saying that a lot of ground observatories uh, are, are, are ma- starting to match. You know, I'm guessing they're using filters that cut through the atmosphere, but a lot of ground observatories are starting to match the the images coming off of different different space telescopes and the, and the one before hubble was spitzer i don't know much about this spitzer telescope that you know satellite but um that was decommissioned because as i said a lot of a lot of ground astronomers can you know with with better technology can get images that are, are just as good as that as that space telescope and you know maybe we'll get to the point with hubble where we're cutting through all the crud that's between us and and the aliens and, uh, and and get from there. Well, that was pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Really pretty cool. And one more thing for the astronomy nerds out there, over on Petapixel, I'll put a I'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, they're saying that, of course, I'm on the wrong tab. Starting in April, the northern hemisphere will be treated to an alignment of up to five planets and the moon that can be uh, that will be all visible together. Planetary alignments, especially at this scale, aren't common. It could prove to be an excellent photo opportunity. And uh, they're saying um, over the course of about two months, the astro- uh, astrophotographers would be graced with uncommon grouping of four planets from the solar system, all visible from the same time in the night sky. Venus, Saturn, Mars, Jupiter, and the moon. Now, didn't they say five? I thought you did say five. They said five. Jupiter joins. Jupiter's up there. I don't know. I'm going to send it um, by April 23rd. Let's see. They're saying by mid-April, Jupiter will make an appearance, which will give you four Four planets in the in the sky at one time, and uh, by April twenty third, the moon makes an appearance. So therefore, you're going to have Jupiter, Venus, Mars, Saturn, and Moon. Uh, there will be continued visibility through May, although it looks like uh, it looks like the earlier you catch this in the northern hemisphere, the, the it's going to be closer to the to ground level. Um. Continued visibility through May. It seems like everything shifts up a little higher. I still don't see. Oh, here we see. Uh, Jupiter. <laughs> okay. It says Jupiter, Venus, Mars, Saturn, and Jupiter. Apparently, there's two Jupiters now. We'll overtake <laughs> Venus in right. Okay, where's the fifth planet? Five planets and the moon align in June. Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn will all be visible together with the crescent moon. This is a rare alignment since the group will take up a large, wide push in the sky. Photographing them will be challenging, but the view will be spectacular. Yes, I'm, I'm looking at the chart. It looks like uh, one, two, three, four, five. I don't know. I don't know what else they got pushed down here. But most everything will be in, in one side of the sky from, from horizon all the way to 90 degrees straight up. But, uh, but yeah, if you got yourself a nice, nice big wide lens... That may be uh, it may be something interesting. If you if you get out there and and manage to capture some stuff, uh, please share it with us. It's really really fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We talked about and and we're going to um, you know we're going out to uh, just such an amazing and uh, and and a wonderful place. And I don't I think we've been there once. We went there once, um, toured it a little bit, but and we did talk to a ranger or two, but I don't think we got too in depth i don't think we did either i think we were on the way somewhere else and we and we you know we we kind of scrubbed our schedule for the day that way we can at least make an appearance and go in there and 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 see what what it was about but this is you know the first pretty much the first battle of the civil war and uh it's called you know the 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 battle of manassas or first bull run and second bull run and I think that was uh, July. I I need to learn some of this stuff. Uh, July twenty first, uh, July fifteenth. Oh gosh, I'm terrible at this. Um, 
Remember? July, Mid-July, and then the second bull run, I think, was the 27th through 30th of August. And One was 62 and one was 64. Well, it was 61 and 62. 61 and 62. Right. Okay. Uh, Matthew Brady kind of got his start here. When we talk about Matthew Brady, you know, the, uh, you know, Brady of Broadway, you know, kind of like the Annie Leibovitz of our time where, you know, his whole thing was photographing, you know, photographing anybody that had a who's who. Any who's who's out there, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of famous people, a lot of politicians, all that fun stuff. And Brady had, of course, his New York and Washington, uh, D.C. studios. Of course, we know that Alexander Gardner took over the D.C. studio. And um, but but Brady kind of had some ins and he and he got permission to go and go to the first bull run and alleged there's so much. Here's a problem. There's so much differing information about the whole thing of Brady. And even some people sit there and think Brady really didn't go down to the first bull run. But there are a few eyewitnesses from um, kind of reporters of the time. They kind of traveled down there together and they kind of stayed, you know, t- as much together as they could. But some of those people reported back that, yes, they saw Brady. They saw him doing this. They saw him doing that. Well, uh, a the, the thought is Brady took one or two wagons down with him with photographic gear. There was another eyewitness of Brady kind of moving somewhere with a big box on his back, uh, which, of course, would have, you know, would have probably been a camera. And not, not really sure what he's doing, but, uh, you know, got a camera with him. Uh, either way, the story Brady tells is he is he, you know, pretty much. He sees the carnage. He 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 has to abandon his van, his photographic wagon. Don't know if it's abandoned or destroyed. There's a lot of different things. Brady, it's like 25 miles to get back to Washington, and it was a it was a big Confederate victory at uh, at both bull runs. Actually, the Confederates won, and uh, of course Brady, being kind of more on the Union side, you know they kind of they kind of had to hightail it back to Washington. The story goes Brady. F- took a nap, fell asleep on a tree, and a member of the New York Fire Zouaves woke him up and said, here, take this sword. Well, Brady comes back in his his straw hat and his very French painter-esque white duster. Right. And a sword around his, around his waist, <laughs> which is kind of cool because that means I can dress up as Brady and wear a sword. <laughs> and you do, and I do sometimes. You know, sometimes, if the mood strikes me when we do our parade or something, I'll I'll don my my straw hat and my and my white duster and and a sword as close to what I can think that Brady might have on under his uh, under his duster. But of course, Brady comes back to the studio, and what's the first thing he does? He has somebody thought is Alexander Gardner photograph him in Washington, kind of kind of standing there side profile with his duster on and his cap and his cross tie and a sword kind of poking out from uh, kind of kind of it's definitely visible in the duster and Brady being the showman he, he definitely had to do this right he probably had somebody say hey kind of make sure that the sword is you know you can see the outline of the sword in my duster because you, you totally can and of course you know it's written on the image Brady photographic gallery at bull run manassas yeah it's kind of crazy but either way uh no matter what the truth is it is uh it's uh it's an honor to be at such a an amazing place it's an honor to be at every historical place any place that really preserves and tells the story of any historical event is uh you know is tops in our books and we're really looking forward to go down there and and it's kind of interesting because when you when you work for an entity like that, and I, I think I want to get this one out of the way because this is going to be a tough one. And I don't mean, you know, I'm not meaning that anybody is right and anybody is wrong, but sometimes when you work for an event, um, there's a lot of things out there that that might not be 100% confirmed. And... But the thing is, if you go to a historic site and you work at a historic site, you need to find out what version of the story they're telling. And they have their reasons for telling that story. And you have to kind of step in line with them. I mean, there's a lot of ifs and whats and buts and, and, and everything. 
But the thing is, is, you know, if, if, if you're ever working with a historical location and there's, you know, there's kind of a discrepancy on, on the, on the story, typically a historical association or the national park service has a version that, that they believe is the most correct. And that's the story they tell. Because, you know, unfortunately there wasn't somebody there that was, that was reputable writing down, Oh, I'm following Matthew Brady. He did this. He did this. He had a, he had a peanut butter and jelly for breakfast. I mean, you know, you don't know all that stuff. And that's one kind of big thing that we do when we're working with an event. And first of all, I say, um, well, you know, I, I want, I want to know what your big talking points on, uh, you know, the history that happened at your location so that I can add that into, into my talk. Right. And, and I will be adding some, some Brady. I usually don't talk about Brady at Bull Run, but I will be adding some Brady at Bull Run stuff to my talk. Uh, this weekend, but I just want to make sure I'm, you know, I just want to make sure I'm in step with, uh, with the entity that invited us out. You know, I could, I could have read one, one article that said, um, uh, you know, uh, Brady called an Uber and went back to Washington, but, and maybe that's my opinion. Well, like I said, the, the place you're going, they have their experts or be better than I am that, that believe a certain way. And, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta tell the story that, that they want you to tell, but you can add your spin to it. Not that I'm being, uh, not that I'm being censored in any way. I, I don't know a hundred percent. Now, for some reason I did, I did my research and, and I know for a fact that, that maybe, and I'm, and I'm not pointing at anybody, so I don't think I'm talking about Manassas, but let's say I'm, you know, uh, Maybe there's a national park called Kalamazoo, and maybe there was a photographer there that they had this. But if I come up with new information, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna step on on their story. I'm not gonna step on their toes. But I may go to them and say, "Hey, look, I know you guys follow this, but I got some information that 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 you guys might be interested in, and they can decide whether or not they want to believe my sources or not." But it's it's very important that if you're ever doing any kind of historical work for for a location, you're speaking with the public. You kind of need to gravitate um, towards the. Uh, you want to help them. They've got you there to help tell the story, and they believe the story that is the most true is the one they're the one they're giving out. And like I said, they're they're better researchers than than I ever will be. So you know who am I to say no? You know I I usually go by the park service that says this is what happened, and that's good enough for me because like I said, I know they've got so many great people, but. Either way, kind of working in historical locations, you need to you need to gravitate towards what is the story they're telling, and help them tell the story. Help them tell the story to their to their spectators, to their their attendees. Very very important. It is very important. This this event has been a little bit challenging for us, though. Yeah. Mostly because we don't usually do events at, in March. For several reasons, but the cold being one of them and the weather being one of them. I mean, we, we deal with rain all year round, but, you know. It's, it's not unheard of to have snow. Right. This late in the season. Even though we are in spring, it's not unheard of to have snow. And we've we've shot in snow before. Oh, I remember that. Do you remember that? It was at, at out front of that uh, the, the one courthouse, uh, it, but it was like it was like earlier than Appomattox. Do you remember that one we went down to and we set up in front of the courthouse? It was leading it was in the lead up to Appomattox. Yeah, it was that year of the one fiftieth of Appomattox. Oh yeah. But um, it, but I can't remember where it was and we set up and I think it was in March. I think it was middle of March. We set the tent up. Yeah. I didn't travel down there dressed. We got dressed in the tent and it was cold. It was snowing. We slept there too, I think, didn't we? I don't think no, we didn't sleep there because we we packed up and we went somewhere else. And I think there was Was that the weekend we had like two events close yeah, to each other? A Saturday and a Sunday. Yeah. And it was like something station. Remember it was in out in front of that, I think it was a B and B or something back then. I don't remember what it was. But anyway, it was so cold and I, I thought it was really cool because I made plates for the historical society there. And as we, as, as we're fixing the plate and letting it dry, even though we'd let it dry standing up, the 
snow actually fell on the plate. Remember that? I remember that. And there were some imprinted snowflakes in the plate. Thankfully, nothing was on, uh, nothing was on the you know the important parts of the plate. But it was kind of interesting because it actually left impressions on the plate. And and they were really cool looking. I never thought ice would you know never thought snow would would do that to that. But but anyway, uh, it's we've learned a lot since then. That was kind of our early days in in doing the the demonstration circuit for wet plate collodion photography. Right. And and now, you know, we usually don't do anything like Christine said. We usually don't do this early. Usually, it's you know. For the longest time, it used to be the first weekend in May, and it was a place called, um, it was a Carroll County Farm Museum. Right. It was what they had, a, they called a first call weekend, and it was a, uh, it was kind of an encampment. I remember one year we actually had the, you know, we have a, we have a, a fire stove that, that goes out the back of our tent, and I remember we had the stove going, and that was fun. We, we were smart enough to have a CO2 detector there. But, uh, but that was such a cool weekend. Uh, anyway, usually the chemistry doesn't like anything under 50 degrees. And it usually doesn't like anything over 90 degrees, too, which is great because Neither do as we. a photographer, I don't like things under 50, and I don't like things over 100 either. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good chance to kind of sit there and say, well, uh, that's a little bit, you know, you need to kind of give us a, we need a warm place to be. Right. Or we need a cool place to be. Um, you know, we, we, we used to do an event at, at Harper's Ferry called the Captain Flag Weekend. And that was in, that was like the first weekend in December. And they put us in the back in one of the, you know, one of the buildings. And we could come out. And, and as long as you make the, you do all the darkroom stuff inside where it's warm, you can take the plate out to a camera that's already set up, make the image, go back in and, and develop it. You're okay. Well, thing is is around here we had some 60 70 degree days and we thought oh man here comes spring well nope not so fast because now here comes snow and here comes cold weather yeah and this weekend's supposed to be quite cold it was supposed to be nice i told them look and i i always give everybody kind of the the lowdown if it's unseasonable weather cold rain uh we need a plan b and, uh, and I'm glad that we made this plan B because guess what? We got to go with it. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got rain in the forecast on, on the first day, and it's just a couple degrees over 50, which which is okay. But then the next day it's going to be, it's no rain at all, and it's going to be, it's going to dip under 50. So we said, let's look, let's just, you, if you're, you know, you've already given us a place to set up inside, let's set up inside. And when we set up inside, we use modern stuff. Now, outside, our camera, our tripod, our head brace, our t- you know varnishing table, our chairs, everything is going to be period correct. But the reason we we work with modern when we're inside is because I don't want to be responsible for por- for dropping silver on a historical floor, and <laughs> and and, and kind of. And kind of being the guy that that destroys history, you know. Right. So we 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 put a tarp down, we put plastic down, we use a uh, we use a sturdy plastic table, we use a plastic dark box, and everything is is uh, triple triple leak sealed, so that if anything does happen, God forbid, uh, we're we're okay, and and we can clean up without, uh, you know, without staining precious history and there's always a tarp underneath us so. well, we always have pla- yeah. yeah that's what i said we always have plastic below us and 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 we use uh we use plastic chairs because i don't want you know while we do have wooden chairs i i would rather not scratch up the floors kind of sliding in and sliding out but we we do have you know we do have a a 19th century table and 19th century chairs that we will be sitting outside as long as it's not raining and and kind of kind of giving our uh, that will be the the table when we're varnishing. I'll demonstrate the varnishing, and and we'll kind of be our little home base to uh, to get started. Right. Yeah. So, um, we thought we were going to have to photograph indoors. The for the after it went from warm to cold, we realized that uh, we realized that it's not only going to be not warm, it's going to be cold, but it's also going to rain all weekend. 
And the 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 response for that was, okay, here we are. We're we're going to be kind of uh, we're going to be kind of hit with rain. We need to we need to make photos inside. Plain and simple, you know. We check with uh, we checked with the uh, the the staff there. Where is there someone in somewhere inside that we can make images? Do we need to bring up? Do we need to bring up a, a hand painted backdrop, or is there somewhere in the house that we can make the images? No problem. There were some some place. There were two locations in the house that were you know untouched from since the eighteen sixties, and we can take the images in front of there. the The problem then becomes light. Okay, well. You know, we will need to introduce artificial light. Is there electricity okay? Are you okay with, you know, when you ask, are you okay with us bringing plastic this, plastic that to protect everything? Are you okay with us bringing, you know, super modern lights, 9,600 watts of watts of light in order to tell the story? And uh, And I told them how I usually handle that. Look, we're not first-person interpreters. And what that means is I don't come out and tell you, my name is John. I was born in 1812. And I don't, I don't do that. I don't do, I don't, I don't usually work as, as if I'm stuck in the period. Well, and I think there's a lot of reason for that, but modern people don't understand what we're doing. So it's really hard to stay in that. It's exactly what I was getting ready to say. It's the fact that I need to be able to, uh, to relate to, I need to be able to bridge that gap from somebody that's that's only uh, that's only used to uh, photographing with this idiot rectangle right here. I'm holding my phone up, by the way. This thing, or maybe a digital camera, or you know, maybe they worked in film. Maybe they, they've they've had the the luck to be able to work in the darkroom at some point. I need to be able to relate those people to what the photographers had to deal with back in the 1860s. And I find that if I if I do the the whole first person thing, it's just so much harder to to bridge that gap. So therefore, what I tell the people is, you know, I, I always show people, you know, where I'm working, how I'm working, what I'm doing. But in a in a interpreter, a living historian capacity, um, I will tell them, you know, typically photographers would have a wooden dark box. They'd have a, you know, they'd have a uh, like a like a fly or a tent or a wagon this is this is our indoor dark box setup because we were expecting you know cold temperatures and rain and the reason we do this is because we don't want to stain the floor we want to keep it in here as safe as possible we don't want any chemist chemical spills and this is a modern reproduction of what you know what they would have had to kind of deal with we deal with the same things we have to keep the light out we have to keep red light in, you know, it, it allows me so many more talking points when I can say, you know, oh, you've got a DSLR camera. Well, the thing about that is that works just like our view cameras, but it has a mirror and a pentaprism and it turns the image right side up and right side over so that you, what you're looking through with your DSLR or your S film SLR, you're looking through the lens and the orientation of which, of which things of which the world is. With our view cameras, we don't have that. And I love it. Christine loves having people look through the back of the camera and ask them what's wrong with it. Oh, it's it's in color. Yes, we've had that. We've had that before, which I think is totally a cute answer. Usually, usually the kids answer that. Um, but it's upside down. It's backwards because light moves in a straight line. We don't have any mirrors or prisms or anything like that, and that's just how it works. When we make the demonstration plate, Hey, does everybody remember what side they had their bay their their rifle on or what side they were holding the flag on? It's 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 different. And that's a big part of it as well. If I was talking in in first person, people just knew the camera photographed upside down and backwards. Yeah, we wouldn't be able to explain that to people. And and, and that's and that's a problem. Most people did not write down the way the world works, because if it wasn't for the photography of the Civil War, we have several friends that uh, that either either make clothing or modify clothing or repair clothing or, or make replica this or that. You know, there's just no there's just not much information out there. They look at photos. They look at pictures in order to get a, a good understanding of what's what, how and, and why. 
And there's some other problems that we would run into from modern things like wearing glasses. We, I always have to double check with people if they want to wear their glasses in photos because so many, even the most made, best made replica of glasses, if it's a replica, they use UV protected glass in them. Yeah. And back then, if we were playing, if we were doing first person, we couldn't explain that to people. Yeah, and the, and the reason for that is because with wet plate being a UV sensitive process, if if those glasses are blocking UV light, well, guess what? Now they look like sunglasses, and you look like a total doofus. <laughs> I've done it before, so I'm not not run throwing anybody in the bus, but I've done it before, and and it's something we had to learn. We now have a, a little card that is in um, uh, that is in our our kind of information box that if somebody wants to fight us, nope, these glasses. Are, okay, well let's let's just test them. And uh, okay, hold this card halfway under your glasses, halfway not, and. If UV light is hitting this card, this strip is going to turn dark. And then, you know, as that when that turns dark, pull it out from your glasses and see if it's the same darkness on, on the other side behind the lens. And then we can tell. We typically have glasses that we replace. You know, we typically have period correct glasses that have no lenses in them whatsoever. That way somebody could put their glasses in a safe spot in our camp. We can give them glasses without, without the glass. And they still look like themselves because it's kind of weird if somebody is is always wearing glasses and you see a photo of them without glasses, you know, that's you. That becomes you. Yeah. Some people are semi-defined by their glasses and we've had people tell us that. They're like, well, I'm going to wear them anyway because I'm not, I I don't look the same without them. And we've had that. Yeah. And and most modern people are okay with that. We just warn them, look, this is your photo. We can only help. Uh, we can only help guide you to to making an image that that you're going to be proud of and happy with. But if you want to wear your your glasses and you're in modern clothing, it's going to be it's going to come out dark. And if you're okay with that, I'm okay with that. The wording on your sweatshirt is going to be backwards. Exactly, and that's cool. I think people like that a lot because, as we've said before, there there are a lot of people that, I mean, they take one look at us and they're like, oh, well, they're doing you know they're doing fake tin types. And then when they see a demonstration, it's like, oh, you're, <laughs> are you, are you really doing this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We got a lot of people like that. So that, that's typically a good thing where people will, you know, and, and during the thing, I haven't had to use the thing in a while, but usually but- during the thing, we stopped, uh, we stopped bringing clothing for people to put on over their, their street clothes. And, and a couple of people came up to us and says, well, do you have any clothing? It's like, well, you know, kind of because the thing is still kind of going around. I don't want to have to hit these, these, these clothes that may discolor or fade or whatever. I don't want to have to hit them with Lysol after every single person. Now we usually do that after, after every day or after every event. Uh, and then we, we air them out we leave them out in the sun so that the sun can kind of bake off anything that, you know, anything, but we stopped doing it for a while. And people, you know, we had some people say, Oh, well, I'm not in a and I'll, I'll usually show them a picture of a somebody maybe up in that morning that that decided to get a plate made in, in their modern clothes. And, and it looks so cool. It looks really cool still, even if you have a picture made in your, you know, make a photo made in your in your your street clothes and your modern clothes. It It's really kind of messes with people. Because you you see such an antique process, but you see a. Modern, I don't know, a modern, modern T-shirt, um, you know, a Mickey Mouse T-shirt or something. It's really weird, but it's kind of cool. It is. Yeah, one of my favorite photos was um, was a reporter, and she had this flowing flowing blonde hair, and she had this, um, it was a video camera, because she was there, she was there interviewing me for a couple for a couple uh, news stories, and. I made a plate that way she had something to kind of share and show off and it was the coolest image she's just sitting there you're standing facing the camera got her got her camera kind of at arm's length by her side and you know blonde hair was kind of flowing because it was a little bit of a cloudy day so we might have went for like six second exposure and it was it just absolutely one of my favorite images completely modern but it's really cool you know, and, and that's and we talked about that before where we, we didn't get started in doing reenacting with this process. 
And there are still several photographers out there that just work in modern with this process. And it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. You know, we, we had worked with a lot of uh, actors and actresses, and, and they just wanted something new. It's just such a cool look. Yeah, pretty cool. It is. Pretty cool thinking, thinking going back, back to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well. Um, we are going to check, and, you know, tomorrow morning, just before we leave, we're, we're leaving extra, extra super-duper early. But we're going to check the weather one more time. Right now, we're you know it went down to twenty five percent chance of rain. Now it's up to sixty, and it's it's kind of a big battle. You know, is is that chance of rain going to go back down? Is it going to go back up? I and mean, we have, we have the car pretty much packed anyway. But we may change the way what we bring and, and the way we do things. Um, the, the things that we bring. Uh, if you're if you're in in a in a colder climate, you can use certain things to keep your chemicals warm. You can use um, those uh, hot hands packs, and you can p- use a, use a, a you know strip of gaffer's tape to to put them next to the hot hands packs. In the in the wet the the summer, when it's getting a little bit warm, the warmer side, I use evaporative cooling, kind of like a, anybody in the south will know what a swamp cooler is. But what a swamp cooler is, it cools by evaporation. And what I do is I take a piece of paper towel and I wrap it around my my chemistry bottles, and I I wet them. And as that water evaporates off, it, it takes heat with it, and it actually effectively cools it down a little bit. I'm not going to cool it down to, you know, AC temperatures, but it's going to get me back in the range where I can, I can safely work, and I'm not going to have any kind of uh, negative, negative effects of it on my images. And you've had to do that a few times. Oh, I've had to do it several times, absolutely. Especially when we're working in, you know, July and August, which is kind of why we – we try to do our indoor events and our workshops and our classes indoors in July and August. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, I really think that's it. Um, you know, we're, we're really excited to go to Manassas. We're, we're going down there for that. Um, we're not setting up our tent just because of the, we're going to be inside anyway, and it's going to rain. If it was going to be warm and rain, I don't care. Uh, if it was just going to, you know, the only reason we're inside is because of the temperatures, but um, we're, we're not going to be sleeping in a tent because we don't have one. So we'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be in the back of the, in the pilot and we have that set up, you know, tomorrow night is going to be, I think a low of 23 and we're, we're all set up. We're set up and ready to go. We've got the, we've done, you know, I think with our, with one of our other trips, we had the Jackery going on. We have a heating pad slash blanket slash whatever. And then we have, um, a little space heater, but uh, you know maybe we'll talk a little bit about that at some point. We're we're hoping to do a video, yeah. And I I, I think I think uh, maybe the next episode or the episode after I kind of want to you know talk a little bit about more more about our, our videoing our events, things we've learned, things we've we've learned that works, things we've learned that doesn't work, and and go on from that. We've had a, you know a couple people reach out to us and and say that the videos seem to be getting better. Which is good because it's better than telling tell me that the same video is getting worse. But um, it's kind of an interesting journey, and and I all, it almost makes me wonder if people would be interested in hearing that. You know, maybe I'll make it a video, maybe I'll make it a podcast. I don't really know, but it's such a difficult and interesting journey, going from still photographer, not a not a video creator, and then and then starting to do that. It's 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 difficult. It's very difficult. But it's a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun learning. Um, you know, I've, I've already known Premiere. I'm relearning Adobe After Effects, which is is just a lot of fun to play with. But uh, you know, I, I used to know it like the back of my hand a long time ago, and and now the all the new stuff. It's uh, it's just absolutely fascinating. But oh well, that's fun. Fun stuff, Christine. It is. Uh, anyway, uh, we want to know if uh, what do you guys go to any historical sites that you like around your around your neck of the woods? Uh, and, and let me let us know. We want to hear about that kind of fun stuff. Are you like us? Are you like you know you don't want to really do anything outside until it gets warmer? And if it gets over a hundred, you're like, no, I'm sorry, the chemistry doesn't like the heat. We totally use that as an excuse. <laughs> now, if we if we get a, if we get to a pr- a point where 
somebody wants us to demonstrate it's way too hot we can't possibly do it. i mean we'll still go out and we'll bring a lot of artifacts and we'll bring our cameras oh we are taking the stereo camera to manassas with us this weekend because uh, there are there were some images that were that were that were taken in stereo of uh you know of not the first bull run which which by the way apparently matthew brady did take a bunch of images but had nothing to show for it destroyed in the photographic wagon or maybe he didn't go or maybe he didn't make any images i have no idea right i guess we'll wait and see <laughs> yeah, we'll wait. i don't know it's just there's just or so maybe much we'll never know we may never know anyway uh i definitely want to hear from you guys on that uh let us know because you can connect with us on our facebook group or through email at podcast at underredglow.com your comments just might make it into a future episode as always, a big thank you to everyone for continuing to join us. All the love and support we receive from people liking us on Facebook, subscribing and rating us on your podcast platform of choice. And also a big thank you to our Patreon subscription supporters. We're starting at just a buck. You can get our shows early with our supporters only after show. All without that terrible ad that you've been hearing for the same time since July. We got to we got to re-record that one. We do. Be sure to check out other supporter tiers as well, which are good for bringing you along on our darkroom projects with great rewards. All of our links can be found in our show notes and also on www.underredglow.com. And now with episode 88 down, it's been our absolute pleasure spending this time with you. Please be sure to subscribe to Under Red Glow. And if we've earned your recommendation, other photographers of any skill level or process, we would certainly appreciate you sharing us with them. A big thank you to my co-host, Christine Miller, and of course, everyone else for listening. If you're listening on Patreon or supporter page, stay tuned for the after show. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.